1: IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Monday, which for the usual listeners of this podcast, if you listen to us live on YouTube, hit that like button, by the way, subscribe to the podcast, notification bell, all that great stuff. You are usually be set for a little bit of a recruiting hour. Well, we have made a switch now that we are in the season and everything is now moving along well. We are now going to flip the mailbag and the recruiting hour during the week, so now Mondays will be mailbag Mondays, and Fridays will be reserved for the recruiting hour. A couple of reasons for that is one, mailbag. I think timing after the game, you guys still have a lot of thoughts that you want, even after the upon further review, there's still some thought that you have, questions you still want answered. Also, previewing Louisville coming up this week, so we'll give you a little bit insight into that if there are questions involving th- this past game, the game coming up. And then also we think that the recruiting hour would be better served on Fridays because a lot of the things that we do during the season are about previewing visitors. Where are they going to be at this weekend? Are they going to be at Notre Dame? Are they going to be on at other campuses? And it also gives us a little bit of time for some further recruiting intel because we try to give you guys as much as possible. Also, boards.irrespect.com if you want that recruiting intel. Just put up a little bit of an intel piece on Davis Andrews' 2024 safety who's making a decision tonight. But we are here now. So Mondays, buckle up, folks. From here on out, this is Mailbag Mondays. Hope everybody out there is doing really well. We got a bunch of questions start. Of course, I'm joined by Brian Driscoll here. Brian, the energy is flowing, sir, because Notre Dame had a – I know it was ugly, wasn't pretty, but they got a big victory over Duke this past weekend. Another big top 25 matchup, number 25 Louisville, headed out to play them in Kentucky. So it's going to be an exciting weekend, man. And then after that, bye week, and then into USC. That This is no, a full USC,
2: then, then a bye week. Yeah. Yeah. Either
1: well, way, it'll be, it'll be four be
2: straight games against an undefeated opponent and yep. well it, assuming usc beats arizona but even if arizona upsets usc which you know, could happen although i don't anticipate it then it would be it's at the very least it's going to be four straight games over a top 25 opponent which will yep. you know again that's that's something to uh the, the, this is the stretch we knew was going to be the you're going to know who notre dame is during the stretch right and they're one yep. and one so far and they got to go two and one this weekend I was very happy, for you know, before we get into the questions, I was very happy to hear Coach Freeman today in the press conference. He said something, Ryan, that I know rings very true to you and I. He said, we can't let the result of the game, the win, impact the fact that basically like we know we've got to improve. We, he's like, you can't let the result, you know, just because we won doesn't mean that we don't have to look at all the things that we need to address and get corrected. And I thought that was a very – uh, spot on, and just yes. another example of how things are a lot different now uh, well, under we, this regime than the old regime.
1: Can, can I comment on that for a second, Brian? Because I, that was one thing that we said on the show. It's like great, you got a victory. That's cool. You beat a number 17 team in the country, an undefeated team in a hostile environment. Like awesome, right? But also. There had to be some soul searching that had right. to take place after that because it was not pretty. Notre right. Dame should have won that game much more decisively than they – I mean, they only went in with, on a game-winning touchdown during the last oh. couple minutes. Like, that game should have been decided Yeah, where you had to convert
2: a third and run. 10 and a fourth and yeah. 16. I mean, I, it, it's still – I just – I can't even get over just the parallels between that final house State drive. But to your point, Ryan, it was a great win for Notre Dame – in the the scope of the season and your resume and your record and that was a good football team that you beat it was not a good win in regard to did your team get better this week and they did not get better in this game but they did what they need to do to get the win and then we move on and that's that's a law honestly guys is a lot about uh what this mailbag is about is because we, we you know you have to pay to you know, to get your opinions or your questions answered after a post-game show, just because the nature of it's just we can't do four-hour shows after games anymore. We we did that and it was just too much. And then the upon further review, same thing. And so then you guys really can't dive into the game until Tuesday with questions. And by then it's kind of like, well, now we're you know three days past. So that's that, that factored into a lot of what we're gonna do here. So if you guys want to talk about Duke. We can still talk about Duke if you guys want to talk about Louisville. We'll talk about Louisville. If and and just because we're not doing a recruiting hour, doesn't mean you can't talk, you can't ask recruiting questions either. We'll get to those as well. So if you have recruiting questions for Ryan or I, uh put those in there too. You've got college football questions, whatever. That's what the it's it's the Monday free for all. The only thing that's changed, Ryan, is yeah. the day. Yep. It's still getting after it. So uh this will be fun. And then during this during the off season, we'll get back to Friday being the being the show.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: The month of October is going to be jam-packed with huge games for Notre Dame, and ticket hunting for those games can be stressful, which is why you need to check out GameTime. Whether you're looking for last-minute tickets to this week's top 25 matchup between the Irish and Louisville or next week when Notre Dame takes on USC, Game Time is the go-to place for you. That's where I went and got tickets to the Notre Dame-Clemson game for my mom and dad. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest-growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for twenty dollars off download the game time app today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed that's gametime.co so let's uh we started off man with a super chat from our guy tyler evans
1: tyler's question thank you so much tyler what did you think of week five and all the key games played I, I, brian for me if i, I could start like I, parody is the biggest thing that popped in my mind on this one i mean you saw Washington struggle against Arizona, right? Like I mean, Washington's going to win that matchup nine out of 10 times, but like th- during that game, Arizona kept it close. I know they scored mm-hmm. a late touchdown to make it look a little bit more respectable, but like still, they kept it to a couple touchdown lead, right against a team thats Yeah, right. And it wasn't Arizona a game where it was like
2: 31 to seven, and they just scored a bunch of points
1: late to make it.
2: It wasn't that. This is a close game. Right. And and if they can just make one stop and then get a score, they, they might do something. So your 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 point is correct. That was a battle for which Washington, which I think they needed, Ryan.
1: I, I agree. And I, I think that a lot of the best teams or the, the perceived best teams in college football, they showed warts this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I would phrase it, right? Like Washington showed warts, USC certainly showed warts. Uh Penn State for a half showed warts. Georgia showed warts. I I, I put a tweet out about this, Tyler, over the weekend, but like this is the year of parody in college football at the oh. highest that I've seen it in recent years. Like there is no dominant team in my opinion right now in college football. There's a lot of good teams, which makes it great mm-hmm. football watching on a week to week basis. Cause you still see a lot of quality, good football, but it's just, you're not used to seeing like, there's no Georgia of the last two years here. Right. right now. There's like, no there's 2019 LSU. There's no
2: 2020 Bama. There's no 2018 Clemson. Ryan, you know why I, I, I'm a, I'm a very much against forced parity. It's one of the reasons I don't like professional sports anymore, to be honest with you. I just can't stand forced parity, especially in the NFL. The parody that is going on right now is I think you're spot on. There's a lot more parody, but it's the right kind of parody because the top teams aren't quite as good, not because of any rule that's been implemented necessarily that says, Hey, because Georgia hasn't lost a bunch of dudes to the portal. They had success. They had a lot of dudes go to the NFL. It's just what well, part of that, that, that process of reloading. Sometimes you reload and, you're a little younger. Like, if anybody has a legit beef to say, hey, we're, we're young at some key spots, it's Georgia. You know, I mean, you've right. re- re- replaced a lot of guys. But it's also about the, the rest of college football in other areas is getting better. Maryland isn't 5-0 and oh just because they haven't played anybody. They've dominated the five teams they've played so far. Like, they look good. Now, do I expect them to beat Ohio State? No, I don't. But it's like... And give them a home game might be last year.
1: additive Than yeah. years past, right? Yeah. Exactly. It,
2: it's like you know, you, you watch Bowling Green, who has a losing record, go on the road and smash Georgia Tech. You know, mm-hmm. like USC could have played the exact same game they did on Saturday against a version of Colorado that looks a lot like last year's Colorado, and it's still a sixty-something to fourteen win. You know, and, and and so it's it's not just that there's there's parity. But it's good – it's the right kind of parody. Why is Arizona winning right now? Did they go get a million transfers? No, they've hired a coach who's done a good job building them up. Why is Washington all of a sudden dominant? Is it because a bad coaching staff lucked into getting Michael Penix? No, they made a great coaching hire. He brought in Michael Penix and then basically surrounded Michael Penix with a bunch of dudes that were already there, right? Well, and you know, you know, Jamie Berman uh, is – is um, you know from Michigan State and the running back from Mississippi State, but it's still the, the core players, the best players. outside of Penix Pennix are guys that were recruited to Washington, so it's not a, a heavy transfer dominant team like USC is. It's good parity. Washington State, that's a good football team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like oh well, the Pac-12 is down, that's why Washington State is good. No, they're they're a good football team. You know, um, very
1: good this year. it's, it's
2: just been you know Kentucky. They went and got. You know Devin Leary, but they didn't win that game on Saturday because Devin Leary got it. He didn't even pass
1: for seventy yeah. yards. I was say he threw sixty nine yards. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, Ryan? Like it, it was the transfer running back from Vanderbilt, Lay Davis, right. that was who actually started his career at Temple. Shout out the Temple. Right, real quick. But,
2: right. Yeah. All these kids going on three teams. It's why it's just wild. Yeah. But you know, it just it's it's been fun to watch it, Ryan. You know, Missouri yeah. is legit good this season like they're not great but they're legit good Brady Cook goes out there he's questionable what do you have like injuries and health issues you know illness and all that and then he, what does he do he ends up playing on the road against Vanderbilt throws for 395 yards and, and four touchdowns it's just yeah. like and his wide receiver a,
1: Luther Burden is leading college yes. football in receiving it right now so. it's
2: been a fun season so far you know, it, it really has. It's been a fun season so far. And, you know, again, they're a team that's benefited from transfers. Their leading rusher in the game was Nathaniel Pete, who came from Stanford. You know, they got Theo East Jr., who was a transfer from Oklahoma. Luther Burden's a high school kid. Brady Cook's a high school kid. So they're, they're doing the mixes. And that's where we said the one good thing that will come from the portal is there will be – well, I thought that the top teams would be taking more. And I'm, and I'm still. I think that may happen if they start getting beat by some of these teams. But what it has done, it's not what I thought necessarily would happen. But what, what has been a byproduct is teams like Miami, teams like Missouri, teams like can't like, like uh, you know, um, Kentucky. Teams like that can say, hey, look, they can't just go replace a, a Will Levis with a kid that they've developed because right. there's usually not quite that same gap. Okay, so let's go to the portal, get a guy like Devin Leary. Notre Dame can go get Sam Hartman. Where would Notre Dame be right now if they didn't have Sam Hartman as their quarterback? Probably four and two right now is probably what they, they – they'd still won their first four games. I still think they beat NC State. NC State's not very good. But, you know, it's, so it, it's been a good version of parity, Ryan. That's the thing for me. And then looking at some of the games, you know, we talked about the Kentucky game. I'll tell you a team that's really impressed me the more I pay attention to them. Fresno State's a legit good football team this year. Like they play good defense. You know, their offense is still pretty good. They won 27 9 this weekend. It wasn't that close. I think Nevada scored the last nine points of the game. Yep. We scored with like a minute left in the game. The, you know, they, they, they shut out
1: Arizona State a couple weeks ago, too. Yeah,
2: 29 0. You know, they had a, a kind of an ugly win over Eastern Washington only by three points. Beat Purdue on the road to start the season. Blew out Kent State last week. So, you know, they're a team that I'm, I'm, I I like what I'm seeing from them so far this year. There's just been like Air Force has been I jumped Air Force into my top 25 and it's like, no, they haven't beaten anybody, but they have dominated every team that they played. They just beat San Diego state. Who's not as good as they used to be 49 to 10 this past weekend. Like they're a dominant team. So it's, it's been fun, Ryan. Now, you know, and I'll say this, this is the first time in a long time that I look back and I say like, there's legitimately 10 or 11 teams that could, could conceivably win a championship this year if they can just you know, improve a little bit here and improve a little bit there. And, and uh, it, it's, it's made for a fun season, but uh, this was a, a wild weekend. Like yep. the, Auburn literally, I mean, they, they went toe to toe with Georgia that entire game. It just came down to this, Ryan, Georgia just has the best, the better players at the end of the day. And that's just yep. what it came down to. But Auburn, these kids played their butts off in that game, dude.
1: And I, I would, I would say that Auburn out physicaled them on the offensive and defensive line yeah. for most of the game as well. It was the, the difference yeah. was Brock Bowers <laughs> like that was the difference. You know, well, and like Malachi some, Starks, you know, made and, some big yeah. plays
2: on defense. And you know, like they had the they just had the 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 five best players in the field were on Georgia's team Saturday, yeah. but they got out coached. I think Auburn out coached Georgia. I do. I mean, just as far as like they the way that they were using their quarterback run, not just with Robbie Ashford, but also Peyton Thorne, had a, a big run in the game. So. That was fun to see. Um, Kansas is such a different team without Jalen Daniels. With all due respect to Jason Bean, he's just not Jalen Daniels. They're just – they had open guys early. They should have scored a lot more. They still would have lost with Jalen Daniels, but it would have been a much – it would have looked like the game two years ago in Austin where Kansas won in overtime was like 57 to 56 or something like that. It would have looked a lot like more – because their receivers were getting open, Ryan, I thought early in the game they just he couldn't hit guys and then a couple times he did throw nice balls they they dropped them you know but texas looks good like their offense is really clicking right now it, it really good. is yeah. clicking right now and their offensive line's finally gotten better the oregon game was weird because they looked like garbage the first half of that game right before piling yeah. on stanford but stanford. stanford is yeah. awful man yeah.
1: Well, Penn State okay. looked terrible against Northwestern as well, until so they like just were like, Okay, we're done with this <laughs> at the end of the second quarter. They're like, All right, that's enough of that. So yep. Yeah, yep. Some, some teams just did not some teams looked very beatable this weekend, but mm-hmm. they also showed that when they're clicking, they can be very, very good. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what my main take takeaway. Yeah. Really. P- that Penn State team, when they're clicking, has the potential to be outstanding. Yeah. But you saw that when they're not, they're very beatable. They very
2: are. athletic defense, dude. Yeah, very athletic defense. I'll tell you who had a really nice win this weekend that not a lot of people are talking about. Texas A&M winning on a neutral field against Arkansas was a good win. Now, Arkansas is not the team that they should be. I'll just say it. But this is, this is that game showed why it's so important to have a good backup quarterback. Connor Wegman goes down. You got a guy with starting experience, Mac Johnson, Max Johnson, as your backup, and he came in and played well. You know, threw for 210 yards and two touchdowns, ran for 57 yards. Was a really good win. I am floored at how bad Arkansas's offense is right now. Like they are so inconsistent. Like one week they throw for a bunch of yards, the next week they can't run or throw against Texas A&M. They made Texas A&M's defense look a lot better than then I. It's good, but it's not as good as they made it look on Saturday.
1: Uh, I, I think that Texas A&M defensive line is pretty stupid, <laughs> stupidly yeah. talented, but yeah.
2: not not 174 yards against them. Good. As a defense, and that's my point. This is a team the the with 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 our Arkansas the week before. Now again, LSU's defense isn't very good, but a week before scored thirty one points and had a bunch of yards against LSU. Uh they scored thirty one points and a loss against BYU and had a lot of yards, uh, over four hundred yards in that game. And then you come out and you get 174 against AM. They just were shooting themselves in the foot the entire game. So, but but a very good win for Texas A and M. Like they're four and one, dude. Their only loss was that loss at Miami. Like they, yeah. they're in my top twenty-five now. Like, they, how are they? Here's the annoying thing: How are they not in the top twenty-five? But LSU is. Like, what exactly? Who who has LSU beat this year to, to deserve to be in the top twenty-five?
1: It's just preseason hype. That's all it's that ridiculous.
2: So. I get that through the first three, four games of the year, but we're in week five now. You know, or yeah, we should we should have an idea. And how bad is Virginia? I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, they're, one of,
1: they're one of the worst um, one of the worst uh, Power five tools I've ever seen, at yeah. least for one season. They're really bad.
2: Yeah. And then last really game bad. that, uh, Ryan, uh, I thought Illinois would still be pretty good on defense this year. Not as good as last year. But I thought they'd still be pretty good on defense this year. And they just got ran over by Purdue. Yep. This past Which week.
1: which was a which was a pick'em game. Like literally it was a pick'em. Yeah. If he was gonna win that football game. There was a, no line yeah. on that, which was wild. So
2: that at I mean forty-four nineteen, Purdue ran for I mean Purdue ran for almost over two hundred yards, I believe, in that game, right? Yeah. Let me go look here real quick. Let's go rushing 189. They ran for 189 yards against them. So, but how wild is it? In the last two weeks, they've ran for 198 against Wisconsin and a loss, and then 189 against Illinois and a blowout win. Like it's a little different time at Purdue, man. They're actually trying to run the football now, which is weird. That was a bad loss.
1: Graham Harrell's UOC, isn't it? Yeah, kind of weird that that's reality. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know, right?
2: Like, I I still don't like that hire. I really don't, but yeah. They're,
1: I like I like the wide receiver they have. The Burks kid, number four. He's a good, he's a good player. I really like that you know, kid a lot. But yeah.
2: Dion Burks. <clears throat> and he's a kid that's been there. So he's not a it's yeah. not a transfer either. So yeah. but yeah, it was a it was an interesting weekend, man. I, I still when I saw that bowling green score, and it was 38 27, but it wasn't that close. Georgia Tech scored last in
1: that game. Do you, do you know who uh do you know bowling green's quarterback is? Yeah, it's the kid that used to
2: be at uh, Missouri, right? Isn't kind of bad, yeah, back. Yep. yeah, him, man. Yeah, I mean, that was that's a bad loss, dude, for Georgia Tech. So like, that's a
1: because Georgia Tech was actually playing like solid football, too. Yeah, and all of a sudden that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. They were coming over, win? yeah,
2: they were coming. They barely lost, they battled Louisville for four quarters, although they blew a big lead in that game. You know, got smacked by Ole Miss on the road. Fine, it is what it is, but I, I if I didn't, Ole Miss kind of pull away late in that game. I remember, yeah, Ole Miss scored 24 in the fourth quarter. Yes, I'm looking at the box score now. So, like, it was a game that was competitive for a while. And then they go out and just get absolute curb stomped at home. Beat Wake Forest on the road and then get curb stomped at home by Georgia Tech, by by, um, Bowling Green, who, again, right, is not that good. I mean, Bowling Green came to that game one and three. You know, like, they'd lost to Liberty, Michigan, and Ohio and ohio right yeah. like they lost to ohio by 31 yeah so that was a wild it's,
1: it's not it's not like you lost to toledo or a good correct team. you lost to a bad mac team
2: correct yeah. correct yeah toledo there'd be some like okay you know what you're in your first year toledo's really good you know uh northern illinois with um what's that kid's name that quarterback they had
1: rocky lombardi
2: now before him, the the running kid when they went to the Orange Bowl that year, oh, Jordan Jordan Lynch. Jordan Lynch yeah. yeah, you didn't lose to a Ben Roethlisberger Miami Ohio team. <laughs> you lost to a a bottom a bottom half of the league Mac team. Oof, not good, not good. Some first year coaches going through some tough times right now. There's no doubt yes. about that. All right, Ryan, let's get back on track. We got some questions.
1: John A1, what's up? John says, if your coach Stucky, what's the biggest... <clears throat> excuse me? What's the biggest thing you're keeping up, keeping on with your room, keying on? My apologies. Well,
2: I just I think the biggest thing for me is just playing with greater urgency. That that and the reason I say that and I keep saying that over and over again because that phrase impacts so many different things. Urgency comes down to how you come off the line. Urgency comes gets down to uh, how you stem a guy. It comes down to the, the knowing I need to get in and out of this break as quickly and efficiently as possible, because I've got to get into the second level. I've got to fight for the football. That's an urgency thing. Like when I talk about playing with urgency, it really encapsulates the entire dynamic of playing the wide receiver position. You know, you got to compete your butt off in the run game, which actually that that's been an area where they've been consistently pretty good this season is, is, is blocking in the run. Although I'd still like to see them do more RPOs, but just overall, if you're gonna tell me one thing, what's the biggest thing? It's urgency. And it's gotta, it's gotta because sometimes, Ryan, when you're when you're talking about a, a, an opponent or a, a position group, sometimes you can kind of say, Well, you know, I need to really focus on this one thing. But sometimes it 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 needs to be a bigger picture than that, because it's not just one thing. There's a common theme kind of going throughout all the different things plaguing you. And with this particular group, like with the O-line, you can, sim- you can really simplify it down to you've got to play with more consistent, better feet. When this O-line gets in trouble, Marcus Freeman talked about it today, their footwork gets them in trouble, which leads to bad angles and different, you know, not finishing. And it's it's it. But receiving, it's it's not just that one. Your top ends are the problem. No, that's a problem. You know what I mean? It's overall the urgency because that that gets into that bleeds into so many different aspects of playing the position. So that for me, that's what it would be, Ryan. What would it be for you?
1: Well, I mean, you hit on part of what I was gonna. I mean, most of what I was gonna say is the competitiveness. Like, there's a there's a weird like when the football is in the air, I don't typically feel like Notre Dame's going to come down with it right now. That's kind of like a right. and that's a problem. I mean, when you have guys that are, I know Deion Colsey's out at the moment, but like when you have guys that are six four, two hundred five pounds, when you have guys that are. 6'2, 220, when you have guys that are 6'1, 210, like some bigger body guys, you should win a lot of those 50-50 opportunities. You should win a lot of those just off of pure athleticism and and competitiveness. And I just feel like there's a lack of swagger to that unit right now. You know, like it, like wide receivers are usually one of those positions where like they just walk, they just walk the walk and then they talk it, right? Like they those are they're very outgoing and very outward in how they approach the game. And I just feel like outside of jaden Greathouse and rico flores and occasionally a jaden thomas at times just not a lot of swagger on this wide receiver group right now and obviously that's partly because they have not produced well over the last couple games and they've been a little bit downward in their trajectory but they need to get that swagger back man like this game coming up against louisville i would love for someone to make a big play early in that game where it's like okay now let's get rolling here man like we're good because it like anything it's about momentum and it's about rhythm a lot of times, right? You make one great catch that leads to multiple great catches. You have a great route that leads to you having great uh, pace and 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 ability to work in and out of those breaks and to be consistent with it. So I just think that there's a lack of confidence and a lack of swagger at that position right now. They need someone to make a play, ultimately. They need someone to make a big play where you're like, okay, now let's rock there. Let's roll. And I just think that they're missing that kind of ringleader right now, that position. We had John with a, another question. It says through six games, which position group needs to be open to playing some of its underclassmen? Ooh,
2: good qu uh safety. Yeah. I I look, I I just I feel like you've got to start getting a Don Schuler on special teams. You've got to start getting him in, in If if there's any game, like if at all you're pulling away from Louisville at all get him in the game like yeah that's a position where because what was the one like now it comes from being smart and intelligent but like what's the best attribute that we thought don Schuler brought to the table he's a dumper he's a hitter he's a tackler right well what's your biggest weakness right now at safety to me and there's several it's open field tackles yeah and so he brings some of that. So to me, him and Antonio Carter, and, and Antonio Carter doesn't technically, he's not an underclassman. He's new to the team, but that's a position, Ryan, where I would say it. I, 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 I want I to say linebacker just because I do think they need to try to find a series here and there sure. where they're taking some of the snaps burden off of these guys. You know, that, that would be something. That's why I still am mad about the Central Michigan game because that was a great opportunity to get Drake Bowen some playing time you know, some legit playing time to see what he could do. Cause now it's like, well, you're going to try to just throw him into the fire against USC. You would have had a much better chance of saying, Hey, what can this kid give us? And that to me was a, you, I would have rotated him and Jaden Osbury in that game of Mike against central Michigan. And if they played poorly, then you have Jack Kaiser on the back burner to come in and and get you out of the ball game. Mm -hmm. That was a huge missed opportunity. In my opinion at linebacker, I understand why they did it. I just think it was the, the wrong decision, but I mean, Ryan, I would say like D line, but you're already playing young guys on the D line, right? Like yeah, I was say, I'd D-line, say maybe play them playing. more a little yeah. bit, like play Bur- Burnham and two Alamaka more, but they're going to this weekend. Yep. But you know, Domin Heinish is playing. You know, he didn't play this week, but you know, he's he's been playing. Corner, Christian Grace playing. Receiver can't get much younger than that. Cooper running Flanagan's ahead. playing, running back, your freshman's playing. Yep. So really safety is the only position right now where I feel like, boy, they, they got to get some of those young guys going linebacker. I would add in there too, simply not because I don't think the linebackers doing well. I just really think with this, the way your schedule is going, it would be wise to maybe a series here or there, uh, yep. a personnel package here and there. It might be good to trigger uh, Drake and Jaden in certain, not together. But, yep. you know, as, as a rotation, just as a rotation, not as a linebackers aren't playing well. I just, I always worry about this with J.D. Bertrand, Ryan. I do, because he's not a real big kid. I always worry about him just wearing down if he's playing 70 snaps a game. And Purdue's, an, or Louisville's another team that wants to, they're going to run a lot of snaps. You know, so uh, USC's another one. They're, they're going to play with some tempo and run a lot of snaps. And so I just worry about about that. But it's almost kind of like a little too late for that. If that yeah. was going to happen, that should have already started. You don't wait till you're in the middle of your toughest stretch and then start rotating in your young guys.
1: Right. Well, not on the offensive defense side of the ball, but one thing I would add is that we saw a little bit of it last week with Jeremiah Love finally getting some kickoff return duties. I would still love because I think Chris Tyree has been pretty good as a punt returner for the most part. Like he's been pretty good, but I wouldn't be. Sh- I would not hate seeing Jeremiah Love back there sometimes to return punts. Like, that kid needs to touch the ball more. I mean, just he just does. So, not an offensive, defensive specific thing, but, like, Jeremiah Love, for me, would be my kick and punt returner right Mm now. He would be that. That's you, buddy. You'll get, you know, your five to seven to eight touches a game on offensive side of football, but we're also going to give you three to four touches in the return game as well. Like, to get Jeremiah Love the ball as much as possible. So, I would just add in on that
2: one. Don't disagree with that. Yeah. I... I, uh... I will say this about underclassmen. I would strongly consider doing having Jaden Greathouse do more than just playing in the slot with Chris Tyree. I think yep. it's time to kind of get him some reps outside as well. If, so. if there's
1: any kid that could handle that, it is Jaden Greathouse.
2: 100%. So, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yep.
1: We had another John question. John A1 says, in your opinion, what's the O-line doing that's making the pass protection so far and so so up and down from game to game?
2: Well, it, there's just I kind of said this earlier, John, and in, in what we talked about. There's an inconsistency from week to week with how they play with their feet and their hands to a degree as well, but especially a feet problem. Like, like did you see the block? Have you have you had a chance to watch rewatch the game yet, Ryan? Did you see the stunt that Duke did? It was about the most basic T.E. stunt you'll ever see. And Rocco Spindler was so out of position with his feet that when he turned to tripped. pick up the ends, inc- he just fought, fell he over tripped. himself. Yeah. Just yeah. fell over himself.
1: But not even over his own feet. Like, literally, he just, like, got on his heels and fell. It was yes. like, it was weird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It,
2: but your feet, his feet were out of place. It was really yeah. bad. You know, Pat Coogan just got that real wide base, and he, he lost him. A wide base is going to – have you ever seen someone, like, try to push a car and their, like, feet are super wide? No, you get your feet up underneath and, and you're driving forward. And, uh, you know, it just – it was weird, uh, especially yeah. the week after they played so well in that regard against Ohio State. But yeah. there's just a – there's an inconsistency from a footwork standpoint, to be honest with you. And I don't think that – I think part of it against Duke was, Ryan, and I said this last night. I'm, I'm going to set you up for this because I going not get your thoughts on it. I really – was I really don't believe Notre Dame was prepared for what Duke threw at them, with as far as their 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 game plan to shut down the run game. It, Notre Dame looked like an offensive line that was unprepared for how much they were shooting gaps and and the alignments yeah. and all that. Not that they necessarily should have been, but they just looked like a group that what coming off the line, not sure. You know, Blake Fisher not looking like he knew who to block. Guards not looking like they're not sure how to pick up a twist. That looked like an offensive line that didn't know what was coming at him, and that shouldn't have been the case.
1: I also thought the defensive, like the defensive line play for Duke this week, I thought was like pretty creative. I mean, did you notice that like Dwayne Carter was lining up at defensive end early yeah. on in that football game? Like, yeah. I think that like Duke some of their
2: three man looks and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and there was even a couple four down where he was at defensive end. I was like, that's super interesting. Like, that's it. Well, they're
2: they're trying to take away Notre Dame's power. That's what yeah. it was. That's what it was. And Notre Dame it. never
1: adjusted to it. They never handle it. So, I I mean, I really thought that this game for me came down to, I thought that Duke's coaches, and this is specifically for the defense, the offense now, because that's what we're talking about. I thought the Duke defensive staff was coming out and saying, you are not going to beat us in this way, in this football game, especially early on. And Notre Dame, instead of adjusting to me, was like, yes, we are. And then Mm -hmm. when they weren't winning, it was like, When's the adjustment gonna happen? Like we're not we're, you're not just gonna be able to run power football against this team every single play. Like it's just not gonna happen because Dwayne Carter was feeling himself. He was playing a great football game. Jameon Franklin was playing confident. Like there was just RJ Oden Odin was was playing confident. Like there was just confidence on Duke's side of the ball. And I felt like there was kind of a I don't want to say defeatist attitude, but like the Notre Dame offensive line wasn't playing with any swagger or urgency at all as a football team. Like they just weren't. They were just playing. Like they were going through the motions at times. I think that was because they just weren't matching the physicality and the aggressiveness that we saw from Duke on their side of the ball. So, again, I think it's a quick hat tip to Duke because they came out and they wanted to play, man. Like they wanted to play and they played hard as heck. But also Notre Dame didn't match the intensity. They didn't match it, in my opinion. They didn't. And I think that partly it was a failure of coaching because I think that there was no creativity in the run game. And then part of it, I think the other half, because I'm a big, like, it's not usually one side, right? It's usually a mixture. The offensive line and the offense in general, they didn't match the aggressiveness of what Duke was putting out there. They didn't, they didn't match the Ever. competitiveness. They did. just didn't. They just weren't as excited to be there as what Duke was in that football game. And again, I tip to Duke, but also that's a problem for Notre Dame. You need to match that intensity. You have yep. to. And I don't think they match the intensity. I really don't.
2: When sometimes you'll come out in a game, Ryan, and the reason I was shaking my head in frustration was that was not it, that was against what that Notre Dame has been good at so far this year is the is the adjustments and the creativity in the run game. And and they came out thinking, well, Duke's gonna play this way, so let's hit him with our gap schemes. That stuff wasn't working because the way Duke was playing, and there was no adjustment. Yep. The only really push they got in that game was when they were running inside zone. Cause they could just kind of step down and play a gap. And doesn't yep. matter who comes into it. You're blocking this, this zone and you're working this combination. That's why there always needs to be inside zone in your run game. Always. Because my whole thing is, even if zone is inside zones, your number two run and you're, you're, you're a power counter guy. There's going to come games where they're throwing some stuff at you that you're just not prepared for. And the yep. great thing about zone is, Literally a team can come out at, if you, if you teach inside zone properly, a team can come out in a completely different look than they've ever shown. And it might take you a series or two to adjust to it because zone is more about principles that don't change no matter what they're lining up in. The only thing that changes is am I covered or uncovered? Right. And then communicating who's working with me in that instance. And that's what's so great about the zone is even if you don't want to major in it, you just want to minor in it, you better be good at it and and, and uh, good at the knowledge of the principles because it allows you to get in these situations. And when Notre Dame did run zone, it worked. What was the touchdown run at the end of the game? It was off of zone. They were doing like a backside lead with it, you know, where they were bringing the tight end around and leading with it. So, like, they were doing, like, zone lock on the backside and then blocking, like, just pure inside zone play side. And then they were bringing that guy in to kind of handle – you know, the the, the linebacker crash and, and Holden Stace had a phenomenal block on that, which we talked about last night. So did Chris Tyree, but that was where you're able to have your most success on Saturday. Like, Jabron Payne's like really impressive eight, nine yard run, which I'm it's that's how bad the run game was is were like impressive eight, nine yard run, pure inside zone, just got to push. That was the only time they got any push in this game or or even kept a body on a body. That was the biggest thing around. They couldn't keep a body on a body. They were just big. Be- and coach talked about it today. Just it's hard to run the ball when guys are in getting in gaps. And right. and that was a big part of it. It was very, um It that should also be a
1: staple of the offense too, because I think the biggest misnomer about inside zone is that everyone thinks that your offensive linemen have to be the greatest athletes of all time. And it's like, no, that's actually yeah. not. Cause you're getting a lot of help to whatever side you're, you're working yeah. towards. I mean, yes, getting up to the second level involves athleticism, but even that that's more linear athleticism than right. moving laterally. Right. So outside zone is a spot where like, if you're not, a yeah, great mover, if, that's going to be a little tough. Ryan, right. If you're a
2: mid zone outside zone team. Yeah. You need some guys who can move. Right. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no yeah. doubt. But that's what I like about what Notre Dame does is they don't have real athletic guards. So when they're running downhill inside zone, when they get outside, what do they do? They pin and pull. Right. Which, which creates some more opportunities and where you don't necessarily have to be as athletic. Now you still need to be able, anything you do outside, you've got to have some level of athleticism, but you don't have to be as athletic as, Hey, we're just running pure stretch. Because if you're running pure stretch with average to below average athletes, it's not going to work against opponents who aren't average to below average athletes basically is how it works. So. That was uh, interesting. I did want to respond to a question that uh, we had down here from Tommy guns about a topic we were discussing, okay. right? And, and he asked, is Max Johnson going to still be on the team next year? I'm ignorant to as eligibility status, which would you rather have to start uh, the season next year? I'm not sure of Max Johnson's status either, but as much as I him. like Max, Max Johnson is a great backup quarterback. Yep. a great backup quarterback, Connor Wegman, uh, and Max Johnson's a 2020 recruit. So he will have eligibility next season. So 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, even without a COVID year, uh, he would get it. Now he's one of those kids yeah. that that class is the one that ends the COVID stuff yep. because kids that year, you can't do a double red shirt. You can't take a red shirt and a COVID year if it's the same year. Yep. So 20 and past, there's no more COVID of the, the COVID craziness when it comes to eligibility. I love Connor Mac. Like, let's just say Max Johnson got in a portal again next year and Notre Dame wanted to get a veteran backup in case the young guys didn't pan out. Max Johnson would be a kid I'd look at. now, But but not if I'm, like, going to get the next Sam Hartman, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Connor Wegman's a very talented player. Like, so oh, if you're he's, Notre he's Dame. A, he's
1: an NFL talent. Yeah. It needs to be developed, yeah. So if
2: you're Notre Dame, which would you rather have to start the season next year? Well, who who are you asking? If you're asking about Texas A&M, it's Connor Wegman. If you're asking about Notre Dame, it's Max Johnson. But they're both good quarterbacks to some degree. I like Max Johnson. He's a he's a solid player. He's a good he's a good program guy. He's a good backup quarterback. If your quarterback goes down for a while, he can go he can get the ball where it needs to go to. He can get you in the right calls and the right checks. He's a good football player. Uh, he's just if you're trying to be a team competing for a championship, you want a guy like Connor Wegman out there who's more of a playmaker, in my opinion. Very talented player very talented player. We have a couple super chats here, Ryan. We'll rock through okay. those.
1: Wade Garrett said, based on whatever your expectations were on of this team coming into the season, how do you feel we have done halfway through the season? I mean, wait, it's, it's such an interesting question because I mean, for me, I predicted Notre Dame go 11 and one and have a chance at the college football playoff. That was my expectation. I still thoroughly believe that Notre Dame can do that. It's just obviously with losing to Ohio state, you're, you've put yourself in a position where you have to be perfect the second half of the year, and you have to beat everyone, right? You have to beat Louisville. You have to beat USC. You have to beat everyone down the stretch, and that lowers the margin for error, obviously, right? I, I thought that Notre Dame had a good chance to beat Ohio State. I wasn't wrong in that instance because they did have a good chance to beat them. They just weren't unable to finish it out, unfortunately. So I would say that they've... Been close to my expectation to be honest. I did expect them after right the first couple games to be a better offensive team during the last couple game stretch, but no team's ever going to live up to full scope expectations for me. So, like, expectation wise, I feel like they're pretty similar to what I thought. I mean, you're sitting there at five and one, you have a chance to make a run here. It's just I hope they had played, they'd finished the game out against Ohio State. It would have made me feel a little bit better about my prediction. But ultimately, I still think they have a good chance to potentially go 11 and one. They just have to run the table down the stretch.
2: Everything that that we predicted is still in front of them. It just is a little tougher now because your margin for error is erased. There are there have been times when I thought the offense was better than I thought it was going to be. Last couple of weeks, it's taken a big step back. So it's just how is it going to be moving forward? That's really the key for me. Um the receiving core to me has been a disappointment from what my expectations were. And it's across the board, really. When your two best players are true freshmen, that says a lot about your development of your current roster. Uh, that's a problem. You've also had some injuries. Deion Colsey hasn't been healthy up really all year. Tobias Merriweather, Chris Tyree, nursing hamstrings. You didn't have Jaden Greathouse and, and Jaden Thomas because of hamstrings, but just for whatever the reasons, it hasn't been as, the group is it's been okay but it hasn't been as good as it needs to be defensively i gotta say they've been better than i thought they're gonna be we thought they were gonna be a pretty good defense but they were they've been better than what they thought they're gonna be i've been disappointed all season in the fact that they have not let their d-line loose but they did that on saturday and 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 what i said last night in the show ryan upon further review is i just hope this wasn't a one-off for this game yep,
1: yep.
2: i hope this becomes more of a now you'll need to you know, tailor it to who you're playing as far as what your specific method of attack is. But having your turning your D-line loose needs to be a consistent method of attack for this football team. And when you have a linebacker like Maris Leofau and, and you say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're comfortable leaving him on the second level and letting him chase quarterbacks, chase running backs, good, take advantage of that. You don't always have to trigger him because if he doesn't hit home, he's now out of the play. And uh, I, I, was, I was pleased by that. The rest of the defense, I mean, linebacker been pretty good. D-line's been very good at what they've been asked to do. I mean, every week they're asked to do something, and they step up and do it. Corners have been every bit as good as we thought. Safeties were a question mark. They're still a question mark. But overall, I mean, Ryan, it's – like, like seriously, we're, we're halfway through the year, halfway through the year, and no team has scored over 20 points on this defense in a normal game-time situation. They haven't. I mean, NC State didn't get their 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 touchdown that put them to 24 until Notre Dame put the backups in the game. Right. You know, so, so I'm pleased with what we've seen from the defense. Are there things they need to do better? Yeah. Are there things that if they don't correct this, they could have problems against a, a USC, a Washington, a team like that in postseason, Texas? Sure. But, you know, it had been pretty good been been pretty darn good so far this year. So as a team they're they're about where I thought they'd be, better in some areas, not as good in others, but they've got to keep getting better because the whole anticipation Ryan was when you look at this football team, you expect them to be like other good teams, which is you're going to be better in November than you mm-hmm. were in September. Need to be yeah. better in middle and late October than you were in September, and that's what this team has to show us. In my um, yeah, in my opinion.
1: We had another super chat from Brandon Plensner. says, what's the status on Dion Colsey? Is he injured or what?
2: Yeah, he's injured. I mean, coach talked about this. He had an, uh, a knee scope. So I don't, yeah. I, there's like this thing where there's this rumor going around that Dion Colsey was going to red shirt because he's going to transfer. And you know how like people just make crap up on the internet. So then when he gets hurt, it's like, oh no, he's not really hurt. He's really hurt. You know, he really had his knee scoped. And if he didn't have his knee scoped, he'd be playing, you know, right now. And you, you especially would have been playing on Saturday against Duke. So no, he's hurt, Brandon, and the expectation is he'll be back at some point in time, but no, he's legitimately out. That's not that
1: I, I hate when those rumors kind of spurn. I know that's not right. a Brandon Plensner thing. So no, no, no I get of, it. Yeah. But like do you remember when Nolan Ziegler missed the game and yeah. everyone was like, "Oh, what oh, is he transferring?" It's just like, "Guys, you right. don't even know the story, right. man." Like, stop. <laughs> and if you knew the
2: story, you'd feel like a jackhole for for talking right. about stuff like that, you know? But that's why we don't comment on injuries uh, unless we know for a fact that it's it's out there because yep. this is what happens. People just run with stuff. And again, Brandon, we're not talking about you, man. So No. Not Brandon it's at all. uh no, he he's injured and they're hoping to get him back at some point in time.
1: We had another super chat from Sham-go? Chamgel. 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 Chamgels. So my apologies. What are some things you've seen the offense do well that you you'd like to see a larger emphasis on, and what are some changes or new wrinkles you would like to see added to get the offense back on track?
2: Well, uh, Ryan, I, I I really liked what we saw from them in the the run game against Ohio State. We saw a really nice mix up of inside zone gap schemes. We saw a really diverse group. The only complaint I had is that you go away from that on the last drive and you ride your horse, right? We talked about that. But really through the first five games, I was really impressed with what we saw schematically from the run game. A lot of variation, new wrinkles from week to week. You nailed it in the postgame show. Like, it just kind of felt like this is what we did last week and it worked and so let's run it again. And we hadn't seen that all year. From this, from this offensive, like
1: last year again. Yeah, yeah,
2: and so I want to see them get back to you know being more creative and things like that. As far as some of the wrinkles uh, offensively, the big thing for me is not so much a schematic wrinkle, although there's always things that you can add to you know get guys free. There's two things I would want to see them do. Number one, I want to see them do more things with their receivers to stack and bunch, which can help get some of the press, some of the, uh, the the inability to get off the press um, limit that to a degree and then more different movements, you know? So if you want to get in a, in a certain alignment, then, you know, move to it. So, you know, maybe do more stuff where you're inverting certain routes and then you stack and then you motion a guy out or, you know, start off with a three, three by one set and then motion the guy outside. And then you get them, you know, get them a little bit cleaner release in that regard. So there's some things they can do that way. And then another one, Ryan, that I know you and I have talked about in the past is I want to see this team be willing to mix up the tempo. Like, look, I, I I know that you're a defensive head coach, and I know that you want to complement your defense and your offense. I get all that, but you also need to start doing things to put the other team's defense in more of a bind. And I'm not saying they need to come out and, and be tempo 24-7, 365. I'm not saying that. But you, especially in a game like the Duke game where your offense is really reeling, that would have been a great time to say, hey, let's go two-minute because we're pretty good in this situation. And now you're limiting some of the pre-snap movement that Duke is doing, some of the communication that Duke is doing pre-snap because you're taking all that time, but you're letting well-coached defenses get all the communication they need to get done. And then you're not doing enough things with motions and shifts to put them in a bind. So if you're going to go this slow, then you need to do a lot more, you know, start here, shift over, shift, you know, motion across. I mean, there needs to be a lot more of that kind of stuff where – you know, you start off in an unbalance, you shift over, then motion a guy, and now you're in unbalanced the other way. And they don't have as much time to communicate and get set up and all that kind of stuff. I can't stand when offenses do that. Like Stanford yeah. under David Shaw was a very slow-paced offense. But that's partly because they did so much pre-snap that you couldn't get set up. And Like Notre Dame, just they'll do like these little, okay, you start with your tight end out and he zips in or he motions. That, that's not ch- really changing a whole lot, you know, because, uh, it, you know – that's the kind of thing that, that, that I don't like. And and if you're willing to mix up your tempos a little bit, I think that's something that could help you. And it's not going to all of a sudden you're, Oh gosh, our defense is going to have to play 30 more snaps because we went tempo twice a game. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that. And uh, that's that lack of that. We just haven't seen a real aggressive mentality when they've played good teams. And Ryan, I don't give a crap if you're aggressive against central Michigan and Tennessee state and Navy, I don't care. When when it when it's negated by. When it's countered with, you don't do that against the good defenses. Then then what was the point of doing it against those other teams?
1: It's not process driven. If you change what you do from from opponent to opponent, like that's not process. Like you're, it's not the same mindset. You're changing mindsets. I would say for me, Brian, like the two things that I would love to see that I think are very interrelated. I would love to see more run action on pass plays. Just more. Like I I think that there's a lot of stationary passing in this offense, right? And I understand it to a degree. Sam Hartman is a is a pocket passer. He works very well in the three, five, the seven step, and get the ball out. That's cool and all. But when you are such a good running team, and Notre Dame has, for the most part, been a really good running team this year, you use that to your advantage, right? Like that's where the run fakes really come into play. And then also off of that easy run action off of the RPO stuff too, right? Like there just hasn't been enough RPO. I I really think that we're missing when we're having trouble at times. Like I think this past week would have been a great time to get some RPO action in this offense a little bit more. It would have been great because during some portion of the football game, you're just like, you were so predictable pass game wise at times. It's like, just wasn't a lot open, right? Because it's just very like standard passing concepts. Well, why don't we instead get Chris Tyree, a little bubble screen or a little, you know, quick dagger or, or a glance route or whatever, just something off an RPO action and let him work in space a little bit. Like, why don't we let that happen? Rico Flores can do some stuff in space. If you give him the opportunities to Deion Coles, I mean, Deion Coles, Tobias Merriweather. Why don't we just get him an easy completion and see if we can start, start to jumpstart him a little bit when he's struggling to finish down the football fields that during this portion of the season. Like, I just think that the RPO, and run action into the passing game, I think is something that I would love to see a bigger, bigger emphasis on. Because when you're a team that is so established in your running thoughts, you are a good running football team. You have been through the majority of the season. Use that to your advantage and make things easier for Sam Hartman, right? Like, don't put everything on his plate, make it easier for him yeah. in this passing game. And I think that you can put some of that stuff into your offense that would really help to jumpstart this passing attack a little bit more, in my opinion. Agree.
2: Got a got another super chat from Brandon,
1: Brandon says with Matt Salerno's injury plus being a previous walk on, is he eligible to get a medical red shirt this year or something and be able to return in twenty twenty four that's like one of those situations where you would have to he would have to apply for the for the this would be eligibility. His seventh year right yeah I believe and and, and, and it's always, always possible that he would get that medical opportunity, but it's not it, brandon, it's like one of those like long drawn out processes yeah. type of things where it's like it's like 50-50 whether he would get it or yeah. not. So I don't even know if that would be something that Matt would necessarily want, but like that would have to be what the my, the process you would have to go through to even get that opportunity.
2: My question, Ryan, Ryan, would be to what end? Yeah, like to what end? What would be the reason to bring him back? And you know, I know why he'd want to be back because like when Matt Salerno stops playing college football, he's going to stop playing football. I mean, he's not Chris Fink where there's, you know, professional. And, and Matt Salerno is better than a lot of Nernay fans give him credit for. I'm not taking a shot at Matt Salerno, but he's not a professional He's not, talent. not
1: Chris Fink, though. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. not that guy.
2: No. And and that's okay. Uh, and, and I love what he brings to the table. It's just I don't know that that would make the most sense. Assuming everyone on the current roster comes back. You know, you'd have Deion Colsey, Jaden Thomas, and the veteran groups. You still might have Chris Tyree. I think it makes sense to bring back Chris Tyree. You then would have Tobias Merriweather as a junior. You'd have your three freshmen. So that right there is, is what, seven guys, right? Uh, eight, because actually you'd have four freshmen, Tobias, Tyree, Dion, and Jaden. And then they're bringing in three more really talented freshmen. So you're going to have 11 legit guys, plus you're still going to have Jordan Faison as a walk-on yes so you're you're talking about 12 talented football players on next year's roster assuming no one leaves and if a couple guys leave you're still at 10 really talented players so i don't i don't know that matt necessarily it would make a lot of sense to bring him back especially since he's on scholarship now so if you know that would be kind of that would be kind of um why i i wouldn't necessarily i don't know that because there, there's only so many reps you can give in a practice you need to make sure that Cam Williams and Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James and 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 KK Smith and Micah Gilbert and those guys are getting as many reps as possible early to get them ready to help out. So that that's why I don't I don't know that it would make a lot of sense. Now Matt may decide he wants to do that and go play somewhere else. You know, like maybe he's got a year of eligibility left and he wants to you know, there's a, you know, he wants to go to a Harvard or a, or a Dartmouth or something. Cause there's some sort of like postgraduate thing he wants to do. Then I'd say I'd be all for that. You know what I mean? Cause sure. then he gets to play football for another year and then th- he might get something that could help him, you know, get get even more prepared for what he wants to do with life. Uh, I'd, I'd support that wholeheartedly. I just don't know that it necessarily makes a ton of sense.
1: Yep. On, and he's not uh, like a, he's not like a, he also doesn't bring a dynamic is a, return man that would like maybe even want to warn that was like like if britain covey that played at utah like if he wasn't i mean he was he was an okay pass catcher he wasn't great though but like he was a really good return man right it's like okay i'll give a scholarship to have that type of punt returning threat on the roster because now he's an nfl kick and punt returner right but yeah i just you just need to be really careful with those types of things because i don't want to stunt growth also on players because like matt comes back it's like that's less reps than maybe uh, Logan Saldate is going to get next year or a KK Smith to your point. Like I just don't want to stunt growth obviously as well for a seventh year kid. So well, Another we one from Brandon a super Brandon chat. Is, man, he's emptying yeah, the wallet today, brother. Yeah, Love man. it, Brandon. Appreciate you. Do you think the offense could have benefited from Caleb Smith sticking with the team instead of retiring or would he not have played still less? Oh,
2: weekend? if he was healthy, he would have definitely played last week. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Like, Like, I, I mean, look, Caleb Smith, this is the the transfer version. He was a, an honorable mention to all ACC football player that averaged 18 yards a catch in the ACC, right? Like, yeah, he could have definitely helped them. There's no question. Now, he got beat out by Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey and Tobias Murrayweather, and he was going through some personal stuff, which factored into it as well. But, you know, this is a kid that had 37 catches for 674 yards last year in the ACC. Yeah. So, yeah, he could have helped them. There's no doubt. He had 152 yards on nine catches against Pitt last year. He had three catches for 141 yards and a touchdown against NC State last year. Four catches for 78 yards against Georgia Tech. Um, five catches for 70 yards against West Virginia. Three for 49 against North Carolina. Three for 50 against Boston College. I'm reading off those numbers not to say, oh, my God, he look how phenomenal. But, look, he was doing that against Power 5 teams, some of which are teams that Notre Dame plays those teams or the caliber of those teams. So he yes. certainly would have helped them in that regard with all the injuries, no question. No question. It would have
1: been great insurance if it would have made sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, it did not happen yeah. to that degree. Yeah. So. Joe Papiti, Thank you so much, Joe, for the super chat. Very much appreciated. Hi, fellas. Heard something in the Marcus Freeman presser that concerned me. It was about Aldrich Estimate and going down on the one-yard line deal. He said the analytics say he should. Are we being driven by analytics? Everyone's driven by analytics nowadays. <laughs> but
2: yeah. it, it, everyone's always been driven by analytics to some degree. It's just wasn't always called analytics. So this particular situation that we're talking about that Coach Freeman was talking about is is it's called analytics now, Ryan. But this was around when I was a kid. When you're, you know, you're running a game out, you take a knee, you run the clock down, you kick the field goal. Right. I mean, that that's been around since like when I started following football in the 80s. This, that's not new it just wasn't called analytics then like it is now. It, you know, it's, it's like the two point chart. Well, now it's yeah. called analytics, but that's been around since way before I was born. You know, it's just, the, that's not the analytics that concerns me. The analytics that concerns me are the people that say, you know, play action pass doesn't really benefit your past game or your offense. And I just think that, you know, I know that there's analytical data, whatever out there that says that I don't buy that because, I see it work and I see teams that, that, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's a big believer in, 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 play action, passing his quarterback, who's a very mediocre physical talent went 20 of 21 this yesterday in an NFL football game.
1: Oh, don't insult like, Brock Purdy, man. I that's Brock
2: insane.
1: Brock like in all <laughs> yes. seriousness,
2: that's insane.
1: Yeah. It is. And that,
2: you know, take that analytics. Right. And, and they do a lot of play action pass stuff. So, Um, Those are the analytic things that that I don't necessarily like when you just kind of dismiss things that have been effective for long periods of time. There's always value to to studying numbers. There's always value to what are the big breakdowns that I put up every day or or every week? There's statistical analysis of Notre Dame's run game. You look and say, hey, you know, we're we're really effective running to the right. We're really super inefficient running to the left. So one of two things. Number one is, okay. we need to find more ways to effectively run to the right without being completely team's figuring it out and then we've got to find ways to be better to the left there's always types of there's always these types of analytical things you can look at and say hey listen you know when when we're doing this there's a very low success rate when we do this there's a very high success rate or if you do this more often it's 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 beneficial if other things if you do this more often you get a negative return on your investment there's always type data has always been a big part of football always it's just all of it gets kind of thrown into this big blanket term of analytics now some of it i don't like some of it is yeah that makes a lot of sense that's been around for a long time it's just now lumped into this analytics conversation and then the the particular thing that we're talking about here that's he he used the word term analytics but that's been true that's that's no different than a two-point chart i mean that type of situation that's situational football what gives you the best chance of winning i still think in that situation ryan this is what i said last night and i want you to respond to this part especially what I said last night is, to me, it's more about what's the situation. And the situation last night is I'm a believer that if there's 30 seconds left on the clock and they all, all they need is a field goal to tie or win, I'm sympathetic to the take a knee, run the clock out, kick the field goal. I still wouldn't have done it because you were losing. I, I, I just, But when they need a touchdown to beat you, and even if the two-point conversion doesn't work, they needed a touchdown to beat you. With the defense you have and the place kicker you have, and I mean that twofold: a, I don't trust him to make any field goal, and b, I get he he's good enough to guarantee that they don't return a kick. You know what I mean? I'd say your defense has played lights out. Trust them to keep that team from going seventy-five yards in thirty seconds. So in that particular situation, I I don't think they should have even at all considered taking a knee there, uh, in, in a game where maybe they were they were only a field goal puts him up two, one, two, or three, then I would have been more, more sympathetic to the notion of don't leave them any time because they only need one big play in thirty seconds to get into field goal range. So it's a little bit of a difference based on the situation of the game too for me.
1: Well I mean Joe, he's not Marcus Rum is not lying though. I mean the the percentage chance of winning a football game if you stop at the one is probably higher than most regards because you don't give the other team an opportunity to come back and win right and a, 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 from the one yard line would be a, a what a it would be a seven uh, 18 shorter than goal, an extra right? point right <laughs> yeah, it would be a 18 than yard point. field goal i mean like it is incredibly short and anyone that should be a give me for everything should be for everyone well that's the point is that and i think that this speaks to the analytics Analytics are a great tool, but you lose the human elements of the game with analytics sometimes. And in the your sense unique
2: that, roster.
1: Right. Well, the human right. elements, that's what I'm talking right. about. Yeah. What you have in front of you as far as the people that you have. Right. And ultimately, I saw three missed field goals in that game. Obviously, one from you, two from the other side. I didn't want to put that game in the hands of a field goal kicker like this past weekend. And I'm they sorry, just made a
2: change at Holder, Ryan. I mean, yep. clearly, they're not happy
1: with their operation. Correct. Yep.
2: And, and his po- also,
1: go ahead, yeah. Ryan. go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and also you go up by seven, and getting the two point conversion. Duke's offense had been better in the second half, but they were still a, it's going to take some time to get down and score, right? Like they weren't an explosive right. play offense. They haven't been all season. So I'm going to trust that my defense that has only held them to 14 points up at that point is going to get a stop, right? Like I, I, I personally would in that regard. So I think you just lose the human elements of your players your roster, the other team's roster, like you just lose those parts. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't going to put the game in the hands of Spencer Schrader. All due respect to Spencer Schrader, right. I would just was not going to put it in his hands. Right. I'm sorry. I don't care
2: what the analytics say. Exactly yeah. correct. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, he had a follow up. I wanted to get to Ryan. Joe also had a follow up on this one.
1: Follow up. My fear is that Marcus Freeman is the ga- oh, don't call him Gabe Kapler. Oh, is the Gabe Kapler of the football? Did he just get fired? I, I'm not sure about that. That's not about the games. He's field. with the Giants, right? Yeah, he. And he so just got he was fired. With the, yeah. He was with the Philadelphia Phillies, and Phillies fans hated him because he was very analytically driven. But then he went out to San Francisco, and he actually did a couple of good things, I think, for a couple of years. But I guess yeah. he got fired again. So, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, let's not compare him to Gabe. Gabe Kapler was a weird dude, and he was pure analytics, Joe. Like everything he did was based upon analytics. I don't believe that Marcus Freeman is just makes every no. single decision based upon analytics. Like this he's a t- guy, Ryan, right? this like team would look played. a
2: whole lot different. If Marcus right. Freeman was nothing but analytics driven, I mean, he'd be, he'd be never punting, you know, it, I mean, he'd be onside kicking all the time. I mean, there's also, a lot of a-
1: analytics analytics say that you should pass a lot more than you should run as well. Right. So, I mean, y- right. yeah. So he would look a right. Lot different, to your point. So
2: I, I think, I think what happens, Joe, is sometimes we hear trigger words and we, and I get it. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm that way too, especially as old as I am where you hear a word and it's like, I don't know about that. But in this instance, what Marcus Freeman was referring to has been around a long time and you could go, if you had bill Parcells in the press box, he'd probably be talking about how it would have been wise to take a knee and go down or whatever. Uh, You know what I mean? Like I'm just using him as an example, because that's been around for a long time and, and there's no evidence of, of, When we watch this football team, there's no evidence that Marcus Freeman is analytics driven in the modern sense of what we mean by analytics driven, which is is just
1: if you watch NFL football, go watch the Los Angeles Chargers under Brandon Staley. That is an analytically driven team. They go for it more than just about anyone. They go for two. They they are just very. The numbers told me we should do this, so let's do it. And right. I, I, I don't think that Notre Dame is that way. And there are times where that's
2: helpful. This is this is what I always say is like, okay, when you're inside this yard line, you know, what's the data on going forward on fourth down or faking a punt? What's the data on the success rate with the the times that other teams go down and score and get points? I mean, there's all those. Yeah. That's that's data that we have been studying for football, putting game plans together, Ryan, for decades. And, and for, for me, I mean, those those things. It's just now there's just so many more formulas to look at and you've got to figure out which ones make sense and which ones are really good data driven that can should impact decisions. And what are just these things that people that don't know how to play or never played or never coached, but know how to plug numbers into a computer and it tells them something that they think means something. Right. And also football is very different from baseball very different from baseball when it comes to analytics, in my opinion. And and so um, I just – I don't see it as a problem. I just think we heard that trigger word analytics and we start kind of panicking. Some of us older folks like you and I, Joe, that hear that and it just kind of drives us nuts a little bit. But, but I'll just say this. This Notre Dame football team would look a lot different in how they go about each game. And, Ryan, I even think about the fact that most analytics of people who never played and most analytics in the NFL – you don't throw the ball. I mean, that's why you're – I'm, I'm watching – looking at NFL stats, Ryan, and I'm like, yeah, quarterbacks averaging like five-something yards an attempt, like consistently yeah. in the NFL. It's wild. But it, that's – hey, look, look yeah. if I'm averaging 4.7 yards per rush and I'm averaging 5.3 yards per attempt, analytics and will tell you you should throw the ball more. Yes. You know, I, I think there's some limitations to that, especially in college, yeah. right, especially in college. But um, I don't think that's who Notre Dame is. I yep. really
1: don't. A, a purely analytical team would just throw the ball about eighty percent of the time because analytics say throwing the football always better than running the football. That's yep. just that's where we live in.